This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Militantly Mixed podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Karankawa people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of that nation, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from a mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka <sighs> Mixed Girl Maine. I have to admit, I've been feeling a kind of way about my moniker lately, Mixed Girl Maine. Uh, one, because I'm, I'm a little bit old to be calling myself girl. Um, two, it's I got stuck with it because of branding early on, and I did like it for a time. But with all of my gender fluidity issues and things that I've been working through the last couple of years, um, there's times when it has bothered me, and it's it's kind of bothering me right now. I haven't decided what I feel about it. Uh, I got a lot of nicknames, though. Not everyone you get used on the show. Um, I might be switching over to something else soon down the road. Maybe just mixed mains. Maybe maybe that. Let's just go with that for now. Um, the Blasian Blurred, M-E-T-H-O-D, main. You know, something like that. Uh, anyways, it's your main. Um... And I have to apologize at the top of this episode. I was planning on having a guest for this episode, but unfortunately, uh, the person that I was planning on speaking to for this episode uh, has been under the weather and I haven't been able to meet with them. So I'm going to push them to another time after they recover. Um, The other part is that I have been planning on reaching out to the people that are on the Be a Guest of Militantly Mixed list, which now is quite long because I actually haven't been able to touch it in many, many months with all my hiatuses this past year, prepping for the move and COVID and all the craziness. Um, so there's some folks that are that are from 2020 that I still need to reach out to and get them scheduled. I just haven't had time over the last couple of weeks. It has been a very busy couple of weeks. So I do have some updates I wanna give y'all from my intro of last episode. And then what I wanna focus on today for this episode is something that I've been doing on my own in secret that I was going to be documenting through the show, um, but I haven't started talking about it yet. And I just got like a big punch in the face (laughs) emotionally um, as a result of this project that I'm working on. So I'm I'm gonna start sharing it with you on today's episode. But before we get into that, um, a couple of the updates from last episode. Um, I let y'all know that I had finally gotten myself settled into Houston and, um, we had been existing at my comic book shop, Ghost Cosmos, um, at a pop-up space and this perfect corner, Emancipation Elgin, um, in the third ward of Houston, but that building is being, um, remodeled soon and it's going to be something different and it's not available to us. Um, but thankfully, almost... I want to say maybe a day after I recorded, maybe a day or two after I recorded the last episode's intro, we've been granted a space that will carry us from September 1st through December 31st. Um, 
that has been provided to us by Project Row Houses. And Project Row Houses is an organization here in the Third Ward of Houston, a nonprofit. And um, from their website, I'll just read their description because it's easier than me explaining it myself. Project Row Houses is a community platform that enriches lives through art with an emphasis on cultural identity and its impact on urban landscape. And um, they actually own quite a few properties here in the Third Ward that either have historical significance to the community itself, this neighborhood that I am living in, or they have created something around that space um, that enriches uh, culture in this area uh, through art or design or some other element that has to do with with the culture of this area. Um, They are actually sort of the parent organization of the Emancipation Economic Development Council which provided us the space that we had previously for our um, for our pop-up for Gulf Coast. Um, anyways, these two organizations are super tied together, and their goal is basically to populate this area with um, either businesses or art installations or cultural events that cater to this community itself, um, and not necessarily the gentrifiers that are coming in because, you know, gentrification, white supremacy, all that stuff. Um, but anyways, we are super grateful to uh, Project Row Houses for providing us this space. And first of all, this space, since I moved here to Houston, I have seen this place and thought it was the cutest thing ever and said I would like to live in that space or I wondered who was occupying it. I knew that it was owned by Project Row Houses, but um, I never imagined we were going to be offered this space. And it is essentially a, a tiny home that was built by Rice University students for um, like a, a green decathlon. It was sort of like an energy decathlon, I think is what it's called. Um, it's an event that happens in D.C. every year, and it was gifted to Project Row Houses from Rice University. It's a 14 by 40 foot aluminum building. It's called the Z-Row House, R-O-W-Z, Row House, um, because it is gifted to Project Row Houses and because it, it offers a zero carbon footprint. So the power is provided by solar power. It's It's got two cute spaces that we can use for our comic book shop area and the kitchen in the middle and bathroom and everything like that. So it is it is actually meant to function as a tiny home. Um, but there are a few tiny homes that are owned by Project Row Houses that are used as businesses. And, um, and we got one that not only is like my favorite aesthetic, like industrial, um, green industrial, uh, but it uh, it's just, it's really good for what we need right now. And we'll have this space for the next four months without having to worry about uh, when and we can operate and, and how we can operate and things like that. It's such a relief. So I'm really excited. Um, the downside is that the location that I talked about in the episode a couple weeks ago, um, the dream location, we just didn't get it. We found out like pretty much the day that I recorded or the next day that I recorded as well. Um, so it was basically the same day that I found out we didn't get that space. We also found out we got this space. So it was, it was pretty, uh, it was up and down kind of day or down and up kind of day, I guess. We're really excited about having this space. I I have some pictures of it on, um, the Gulf Coast Cosmos social media, GCC comics, um, where you can check out there. And luckily from what we have received so far in the GoFundMe, we have been able to purchase some of the materials and furniture that we use, that we will be using in that space, uh, which has been a lifesaver. 
Uh, we still have our GoFundMe open, though, because we still have to raise funds for our future permanent space. Um, but this this space has given us a breathing room for the next four months to be able to prepare uh, for whatever will be our final location um, here in the third ward. But it's just been great. So stay tuned to the social media and the links that I'll provide if you want to check in on that business and sort of what I'm doing when I'm not doing the show and when I'm not at my day job, <laughs> uh, which unfortunately I still have to work a day job for a little while until we can start making enough money with the comic book shop. <laughs> but that's the way you start a business. It takes a couple years. Um, so yeah, so we, we hit about 29% of our goal for our GoFundMe and uh, for our initial goal. And that initial goal was tied to that dream location, but now we're just reverting those funds to what we need now to keep us going. Um, and uh, and I'm just gonna keep pushing that, that GoFundMe. Uh, my business partner and I will keep pushing that GoFundMe until, um, until we can fund our permanent location, in addition to other outlets that we're trying, um, loans and grants and things like that. Okay, so that's the, the comic books news. <sighs> and now here is what I've been working on. So for those of you who are probably newer to the show, you may not have even heard an episode where I've referenced this before, but um, it's something that I have talked about on and off throughout the history of the show, especially in the first year of it, of my plans and intentions to do um, eventually pilgrimage trips to country of origins for my ancestry and stuff like that. And that the difficulty with the black side of my family is, is where our information ends and how we can trace us back to the continent. And the way that I've sort of gone about that is while my family does have a lot of records um, dating back to near the end of the 1800s, we don't know what ship we came on. We don't necessarily know where exactly we were taken from but through the African Ancestry DNA test, so not the Ancestry.com, but African Ancestry, we were able to discover that our country of origin is what is now considered Gabon. And we are from three different tribes from that is occupying that area that is now known as Gabon. The Atike, which is the current ruling ethnic class, um, the Sogo, and the Kota people. And of those three tribes, in the research that I've done over the last few years, um, I have a certain affinity for the Kota people specifically because there's things that I've seen either in my life or in my family that ties back to the traditions of, of that particular tribe. And so I, that's sort of where my energy is, is thrown towards in terms of my own personal ancestry and, and my search for the history. And so the relief that I feel, and, and this is a three-year journey at this point, um, the relief that I feel, actually three years exactly, because I got my results back in July of um, 2018. Yeah, 2018. Um, is that in the past, Africa was always just a, an idea of a place that my family could be from. You know, it was a whole continent. Where could we be from? Um, you know, a lot of people tend to just kind of defer to Nigeria because of that's where the gates were and, and people have a, a particular affinity for it. Um, and so naturally that was part of what was eventually going to be my pilgrimage trip. But I've always really wanted to, to try to find out where we come from. And with the efforts of other family members, 
Um, that's how we were able to get it down to those three tribes in, in Gabon, uh, which is an amazing thing to have. And it was uh, unexpectedly emotional when I found out because um, not that it was going to have an impact on my identity. It's not like all of a sudden I was going to start referring to myself as Gabonese or anything like that. Um, but it was going to give me something to research. It was uh, a culture to look into and understand or several cultures to look into and understand and get to know a little bit. But more than anything, it gave me a bridge, a bridge back to the continent that my family, my ancestors were stolen from. And um, being able to know that when I am actually able to do my pilgrimage trip, that I can go to an actual country and possibly go to an actual village that um, my ancestors came from, or that possibly I may still have blood relatives that are, you know, separate from me from, you know, between 100, 150, possibly 200 or more years, right? And so that has sparked the last few years of me doing research about the Kota tribe in particular, trying to see how to get access to the language because there are less than 50,000 Kota speakers or Ikota speakers um, left on the planet to this day. Um, there are programs, there is a program in Indiana, but I have no plans on moving to Indiana, so I don't know that I will necessarily ever have access to this language that is, you know, a bit on the rare side in terms of being able to find language things. There's a few things on YouTube and the internet and stuff like that, but not enough to, to get a meaningful knowledge. But I have been able to do some research and it, about the, the tribe itself. And like I said, there's some things about it that draws me in terms of my affinity towards it. One is that they are pygmies, um, that they are poly, well, I guess it's fair to say that they're polygamous tribe. And while I am a polyamorous person, I'm not a polygamous. A polygamous is, is, is um, one male and multiple wives, where the wives themselves cannot have relationships, romantic or sexual, outside of that one husband, but that the husband can have multiple wives. Uh, that's polygamy. Polyandry is when it's one wife and multiple husbands. I am polyamorous, meaning that I am open to having romantic relationships with multiple people. And in my partnership with my husband, who I refer to as my, my primary partner and or my nesting partner, we both have had relationships either shared or separate with other people over the course of our relationship and are continuing to be open to that. Um, although right now I'm not pursuing any other relationships besides the one that I'm nested in. But it was interesting to find out that I come from a tribe of people who, who have at least something poly-related in, in their tribal identity. And also the pygmy thing answered a lot of questions because I always wonder why my family's build, like physical build, was so different from other black folks that I grew up around. And in doing the research that I've done, uh, I can actually see the body structure of my family connected to the pygmy tribes of, of um, Central Africa which is where my ancestry originates. And like, there's so many things that make sense. There's also facial structure things that make sense uh, with relatives of mine and some of the pictures of Kota people that I've seen um, during my research. So it's been a whole journey. And this is something I've been going through over the last three years. The only country of origin that I've ever visited of my ethnic origin is England. My grandmother on my dad's side is, is British and uh, so I've been to England. I haven't been to Wales, which is her makeup. She's half Welsh and half English. 
I haven't been to Japan, which is my other grandmother, and my paternal grandfather is from the U.S., um, but also his ancestry has been here since um, the early 1700s, somewhere around 1709 or 1711. So um, divorcing them from where their ethnic origin comes from, it's more about them being Appalachian folks, which I have driven through Appalachia, but I've never stopped and experienced Appalachian culture, and it's not higher on my priority of interest, although I've learned a little bit about it, uh, too, as part of this journey, um, and ultimately something that I'll be documenting through the show or through some sort of video documentary as well. So Japan, obviously, is on my list. Um, England, I have been to London and a, and a few other smaller countryside towns, and I... I do have an affinity for that country, partially because I was partially raised by a British grandmother. My sense of humor is very dry and British style sometimes, and uh, but it's the only place I have been. So my next stop, my next goal is to, to get to Gabon and to get to Japan. So some of you may have heard about this before, um, but there is a, uh, a concept called the sixth region. And basically stating that there are that there have that there have always been five regions of Africa: Northern Africa, Western Africa, Central Africa, Eastern Africa, and Southern Africa. And that the sixth region is those of us that come from the diaspora, um, either through the transatlantic slave trade, or you know choosing to leave generations ago and are now generally generationally established in other countries. But we are considered the sixth region. And what this uh, organization has done, this organization that has now de uh, reclassified that to be the sixth regions of the African Union, and um, the diaspora has been offered opportunities uh, either through the year of return um, to get citizenship in an African country, whether or not your ethnicity necessarily ties to that because they understand that some of us will never be able to figure out where our ethnicity is from, or through this... this uh, African Union passport that we can get as members of the sixth region. So I have been going through the process of trying to make myself um, eligible to apply to it. Um, and there are there is a segment that explains what people of mixed heritage go through to get their application. Um, there's different different degrees. Like if you're of direct African, a direct country of African heritage, but you live in another country, here's how you go about it. If you're second or third generation, here's how you go about it. Um, so they have several different instruction guides, and there is one for, for people of mixed uh, African heritage um, in the diaspora. And the thing is, there is like an establishing your Black ancestry, regardless of whether or not you can figure out what country from Africa you were from. And in doing that, you do that through your own birth certificate or and your parent or your grandparent. Um, and so long as there is black or African-American or something like that listed somewhere, that is a way of establishing your um, connection to the diaspora. Uh, that is still a complicated step for some of us. Um, some of us may not know our parent of black heritage. Um, some of us may not um, it may be a couple generations back, and, and you, you might be establishing that a grandparent was your last African, uh, your last uh, relative of African heritage. So it is a bit of a challenge, and I've been having um, some hoops to go through because uh, my father is dead now, and 
he was also born on a German Air Force base. <laughs> so it's been really hard to get his um, birth certificate. And you do, re- you know, birth certificate is required. I have my birth certificate, which does list me as um, the child of a person of black heritage. I, I have that listed on my birth certificate, but I still need mine and my father's. Unfortunately, I have really struggled trying to figure out how to obtain a birth certificate for a parent that is deceased that was born on an American uh, military base. So I'm still going through that process. I thought I might try to circumvent that and see if it might be possible, although it may not be, in getting my father's death certificate. Uh, My father died after we had no longer been in contact. and I'm not really in contact with other members of his immediate family, um, his, his wife at the time that he died and his other children and things. Um, so it's a bit complicated, but as his child, I was able to request his death certificate from uh, the city that he died in. And uh, after several weeks, I finally received it yesterday. And I should have put my camera on as part of this thing that I'm documenting for this, but. I was just excited that it arrived, and I, I wasn't sure if the death certificate would name their ethnicity. Um, so it was a shot in the dark, you know. It was uh, there was cost involved and things like that, but this is part of my journey towards achieving my sixth region passport and getting one, one step closer to being able to um, to visit and or possibly achieve citizenship in Dubai, dual citizenship, or something. Like that. So I get his death certificate yesterday and I open it up and I check the things. So I will share a picture on the Instagram on Instagram of part of this, although I'm going to block out a whole lot, a lot of information because, um, well, I have mentioned before that my maiden last name, my born last name was Franklin. Um, I don't name my father or my brother or other family members because they're not a part of the show. Um, and for, especially in the case of my father, who's no longer alive, you know, trying to keep some of my personal information as personal as I can. Um, but I will put up the section that shows what his race is. And I am surprised and just, I have no words for this. My dad died white. (laughs) My black father died white on paper. I have received his death certificate. It says the date of his birth, the date of his death, the time of his death, the country that he was born in. Um, It blacks out his social security number. It does say that he was a part of military service. It it has all this information that that is my father. It names his parents and everything as well, but it doesn't name his parents' ethnicities. But for his ethnicity, the word white, is there. I'm looking at it right now too. Uh, Even though I've seen it a couple of times since yesterday, I don't know how this happened. Because I wasn't a part of his life at the time of his death um, for my own protection, I wasn't a part of submitting information to the death certificate. So I don't know if this is something that my stepmother did his wife at the time of his death, if it's something the coroner did. I have no idea if it's just because he was born in Germany that they assumed he was. I'm assuming if it was the coroner, they saw his 
body. Um, he wasn't. He was racially black. He was ethnically Welsh, English, and Black American, but he was racially black. And in the same way that I don't have a race because I'm too ambiguous to pinpoint, I list my ethnic groups because I I don't have a race category. My dad had a race category, and that was black. But on paper, he died white. And if I can't figure out how to either update this correctly or find his birth certificate, or hopefully there's some military records that will prove his identity so that I can use that for my application, then my journey ends in terms of trying to obtain um, the sixth region passport and or future citizenship, if that's the path that I choose when I when I do my pilgrimage. Um, if you've heard my show before, you have heard I've ha- I have a difficult relationship with my father. He was very abusive. I, I finally had permission by the judge when I was 17 and a half to refuse to see him if I wanted to. Um, but they, for whatever reason, needed me to wait until I was 17 and a half. And so when that happened, I had the last conversation I ever had with my father before he died to tell him, you know, the judge told me this was legal for me to do now. Um, for my own safety and my mental health, I never want to see you again. That's what I need to do. Um, there was a threat involved on his part when I said that um, I was never going to see him again. I was never going to visit again. And I was requesting that he never tried to contact me again. Um, and which just basically, like, my decision was already made, but it was just one more way of saying this is exactly why I'm no longer seeing you. Um, and then he died when I was 21 and, um, there's been a few things that have happened in my adult life since he has passed that is related to my father that has made life a little bit difficult for me. Um, and it, this feels like one more thing. It feels like if there is a way for my abusive father to continue to thwart happiness or joy in my life as an adult. Um, since he died, this is another one of those things that has, that has happened. And he's been gone for more than 20 years now, right? I'm, I'm 43, so he's been gone for 22 years. And there's still things that happen either through other family members or um, other complications, uh, health things and stuff like that um, because of my father. And this one was one I wasn't expecting. I... I, I knew the birth certificate thing was going to be difficult, but I didn't realize that the death certificate would, would have um, misraced him, if that's even the term. <sighs> so I have a new chapter, I guess, to start in this journey, and and that is doing something I would have never thought I was going to ever do. Um, try to give my father back his racial category in his death for purely selfish reasons of course i i want to be able to participate in this sixth region process and he's no longer here 
but somebody made a decision on his behalf for the paperwork, his death certificate. Um, one, just doesn't make sense, and two, is just inaccurate. It's just inaccurate. And, and while I think I am the only of his children that want to go through this process, um, not speaking with the, the two from his other family, um, and, and just kind of knowing that my own brother wouldn't have this interest based off of past conversations, um, if, unless he's changed his position, uh, if I go through this process of try to change this, I'm really just doing it for my own desire to go down this path to reconnect parts of my ancestry to my current family. Um, I do think that if I'm able to establish this, it might be easier for some of my other family members, but not necessarily um, my siblings. <sighs> so this is my update. Uh, I, I thought that I was going to be starting this sort of series thing that, you know, maybe once a month or every couple of months, I'd be able to update y'all on where I was in the process of this journey. Um, and I was hoping that this was going to be a fairly joyful process and that the, the biggest thing that was going to be difficult was the weight and the uh, money when it came time to, to make my pilgrimage. Um, but now, you know, it's already taken me this long to find out that my, my father died white on paper. And now, um, I got to try to figure out how to go through this part of the journey so that I can establish who my parent was and what their race and ethnicities were, um, perhaps even stretching it to my grandfather as well. And then who has also passed, um, and then be able to go through this process. So I may have tacked on another year <laughs> to this process. Um, yeah, the worst part of it for me, honestly, the personal side of it is just that how much more my dad has to be on my mind right now when I've spent so much of my adult life trying to um, not forget or block, but to to just live without the threat of, of him dominating my life anymore, which, to be honest, has happened even after his death. Um, it's a scary thing to have to bring him up again. And for a period of time will be constant as I'm trying this process. Cause I am serious about this process. I, I actively want to do this. Um, for me, I'll talk about it on the show, but it's, it's not a, a thing for the show. It's not an activity I'm doing for the show, but it is, it is something for my own personal life. It's part of my research for the book that I'm working on. And, um, Yep. So anyways, like I said, uh, I will release a partial redacted photo of what I'm dealing with on this certificate. Um, and like I said, uh, because it's not just me, I do have siblings and whether or not uh, we are in communication, I don't have a consensus of, across the board of whether or not they're comfortable with me sharing information about our shared father. Um, so I am redacting most of the information, but um, I'm, I'm at least going to put a post, a post up to to show what had the biggest impact on me. 
And yeah, that's it. That's just part of it. That's the first first real, I guess it's probably the second part of me talking about this. The first part was the DNA episode, um, which was episode seven from 2018, um, in which I do talk about the start of my plan for this and, and why three years have gone by since I've gotten this far is, um, well, one, three years ago, I didn't know about the sixth region as being uh, an option because I don't think it quite was yet. Um, the year of return information started to happening after that, um, as far as I got access to. And um, it's been since then that I've been kind of piecing bits and pieces together. I've been mostly researching the tribes that I've been from then than actively trying to plan because I knew I was several years away from being able to actually take a trip. Um, and I wanted to be as informed as I could be before. And then in the last six months, I discovered this um, opportunity with the sixth region uh, and have been exploring that. So I haven't felt like I had anything meaty enough to really discuss on the show uh, until until now. <laughs> and man, it's, it's a blow. I... I mean, to talk about, like, how weird things, even someone who calls themselves Mixed Girl Maine and has a militantly mixed podcast, to how something so weird and small can invalidate my racial identity. It's not like it invalidates necessarily my racial identity, but it is invalidating um, in a weird way. I don't know how to describe how it feels, but to see that would be like, my first question is, how do I prove, besides photographs, how do I prove my dad was my dad? If the paper, the man on this paper doesn't match the man that was the actual person. Um, how do you prove your heritage when your parent is gone? And then it adds me asking myself the question too, would I have gone to talk to him if he was still alive? because I wanted to do this? And would I be beholden to him in some weird kind of way because I would have made that decision, if I would have made that decision to do it? Um, that's a question that I don't need to be answered, but of course it's something that has been, that I asked myself, which has sent me into a different kind of turmoil related to uh, my comfort about being around my dad or having my dad in my life, even though he's been dead for 22 years. Um, the fear that popped up was surprising because I thought a lot of that was gone um, from therapy and all that other kind of stuff. But it's weird the things that trigger the fear and bring it back, bring it rushing right back. And in a very strange way, this did. This did. Uh, because there's nobody in my family that I can go to necessarily that can that could help this. Um, the people that are still alive, some of the people, I'll make more, uh, get more accurate, uh, some of the people that are still alive that I could go to, to ask questions, to find what I was going to, you know, what I would need, um, had bullied me through my decision to not talk to my father and to not visit him when he died, um, not in person, but over the phone and through the mail, because that's how old we are. Um, and if I were to go to them now for something like this, um, one, I'm not sure that they would help. And two, um, it would be a weird victory for them given 
that I didn't need my father on his deathbed. But sadly, I need my father now to do this thing that I want to do. So that's it. That's my update. Um, it's kind of a downer. Sorry, um, but it's my it's 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 where I'm at in this process. Um, for other people that are considering doing something like this, either some sort of ancestral tour or digging into your past, um, I'd like to hear from you. Uh, I would like to maybe pool resources as we support each other through something like this as well, um, because. I do have people that I can turn to for my support group when this made me upset and things like that, but I don't have anybody who is going through this process to talk to that has had these levels of, of um, difficulties and, uh, or to understand how meaningful it is to, to some folks um, outside of myself to do something like this. So if you are in this process, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the sixth region um, or the African Union passport or citizenship or anything like that, your return. It could be from any origin, uh, ethnic and cultural origin that you have. If um, if you have the desire to to dig back into those places that uh, you feel removed from, how um, you mean? Let's uh, let's talk about it either together in private or on the show. Um, so that we can figure out how we get through this journey together to, for ourselves, but possibly together it might be easier. Um, and as just a personal request, if there's anybody out there that knows how to obtain a birth certificate for a deceased member of the military, if they were born on an international um, Air Force base, uh, please let me know because uh, even the military website itself is very unclear on the process to, to go about doing that. Um, especially if you are the child of the deceased. That's, that's been the toughest part about it. Um, my email address is charmaine at militantlymix.com. That's S as in Sam, H-A-R, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E, at militantlymix.com. And of course, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at militantlymixed, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash militantlymixed. And, um, and of course, we have the private group on uh, Facebook as well, which you do have to request and join and fill out uh, a question to get into that group. Uh, but that's it for now. I will try to come back with a guest uh, two weeks from now. The show will be bi-weekly, uh, at least for the next few months, uh, probably through the end of the year. And, uh, but I will keep trying to update y'all on this journey as it happens. It may be months apart when I do though, so it's not a proper series. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Don't forget to be your mixed selves, y'all. Bye. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.